Welcome to City Council. I'm Paula Viganalan, and I'm super excited today because I finally get to meet in e-person, a mutual on Twitter, a friend now, hopefully I can call you, um, and someone that I grew up listening to, which is crazy. First of all, because you're not that much older than me. And second of all, it's just like weird to meet people who had an impact on your life before you like knew them. It's Max Collins of Eve 6. Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. The reason that we met is because on Twitter, you're like a leftist icon. Now. <laughs> and so we all kind of like find each other when we like tweet about the same shit. So it was just like, yeah, we just ended up being mutuals and getting mad about the same shit, I think. And that's how we we found each other. I And I also just thoroughly enjoy your jokes. You oh, thank funny. you. Thanks. You 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 have like really funny tweets too, and very funny like gotcha moments. I also really enjoy your beefs with, with the people on Twitter. That's like one of my favorite things, and we're gonna get into that. Cool. Um, but first, we were just talking about your background offline. You live in LA, um, mm. and you grew up in La Crescenta, right? Yep. Um, yep. And then I know you from popping off with Eve Six, but what happened up until then? Up until you got into this band and like got all this fame. I mean, our our band started when we were really young. We were end of ninth grade in high school when John, our guitar player and I, guitar player and I started playing together. So there wasn't a whole lot of life lived before the band for me, really. But um, yeah, I I was born in New York City, moved when I was young, like four years old, to Miami, Florida, and then we moved out here right before the sixth grade for me, which I think was like 1990, thereabouts. Um, and yeah, I grew up in La Crescenta. I was, you know, my first like obsession was skateboarding and I was like all about that. Um, I've always been, I think, kind of a, an all or nothing personality. And um, then when I got gifted a bass guitar from a family friend that became all consuming for me. Um, not Do that you... I became a great bass player or anything, but like music became the thing. And I, I had been a music fan, you know, for, for a while, but that's where all of my time and energy started going to just like stealing tablature from magazines <laughs> on newsstands and, uh, you know, trying to work my way around bass lines and learn how to do the thing. Did you stay in contact with the person who gifted you the bass? No, they were like this kind of tangential. I, I don't even totally remember who they were, to be Ooh, honest. They created it was like, six though. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a really weird bass too. It was like a ripoff of the Paul McCartney um, Hoffner. It was a hollow body, you know, it kind of looks like a violin or whatever, but it was a very kind of cheap remake of it but um but it was super cool and I don't have that anymore either but oh, uh but yeah and then yeah started playing bass started playing with just you know I found a couple kids I knew just in my grade who played we would just started to jam and stuff like that and then it was kind of one of those things where we were like playing uh after school one day in a friend's garage and another another one of my friends was was playing guitar and singing. And I was like, oh, what if you try kind of singing it like this? And I heard the sound come out of my throat and I thought, oh, that didn't sound nearly as bad as I thought it might. Ooh. 
<laughs> and that was like the beginning of me attempting to sing, write songs and and the rest. I wanted to ask, how do you decide who gets to be lead singer in a band? Because it feels like a coveted position, right? Because they're like, it feels like they're the front man of the band often. Yeah, especially in groups where you have more than one person who can sing yeah. and write songs. Um, yeah, I think for our band really started when I met John Siebels, our guitar player. He's a great guitar player, was a great guitar player, even in high school. And uh, but he he never, you know, he wanted to play the guitar and sing harmonies. There wasn't any. Yeah. Wasn't any jockeying about that. And uh, yeah, we put an ad in the recycler. Does the recycler still exist? Do you remember I that? I have no magazine? idea. Also, you're saying all these music things and I'm like nodding along. I don't know shit about it. <laughs> you're like, you know, this <laughs> Hofner guitar. I was like, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I was also going to say, it's like the opposite of that thing where people are like, you're not going to find your soulmate in your hometown of like these few people. It's like the opposite for bands because they often do find their band soulmates like growing up, right? Like all these yeah. epic bands, like right yeah. in their high school and middle school. That's awesome. It's, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's pretty like, it's pretty awesome. I mean, John is still to this day my best friend. I was just Aww. texting with him before this. Um, and yeah, we've, we've shared a pretty wild ride together and continue, continue to do it. Um, it's cool. So when, when did you like, so you formed this band and then when did it get big? Like how old were you when it started like really popping off? And did you know that at that point, that was what you wanted to do for your career or were you like doing it still kind of on the side while going to school and stuff? So we, let's see, I guess it would have been when we were in the 10th grade, we started playing shows at all ages venues in the LA area when we were sophomores in high school. <clears throat> and they were like, you know, coffee shops, mainly backyard parties. There was a place called the Cobalt Cafe in Canoga Park, a place called Eagles Coffee Pub on, on Lancashire. And, uh, we were playing playing out one weekend at a place called the Natural Fudge Company in Hollywood, actually. And wow. just a weird all ages venue. I know it definitely doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> and there was um there was an AR person there from a, an independent punk label out of Orange County called Dr. Dream Records. And they had it was like the it was like the label where the lead singers of seminal punk bands from the 80s and early 90s kind of went to do their solo records or whatever or their new bands um so like joe wood from tsol his he was there steve soto from the adolescence Whoa. his new band was there and um they this and our person liked us they ended up signing us to a record deal we started making a record with steve soto from the adolescence producing it and during those sessions when we were cutting drums the label had orchestrated like a an interview thing for us and this woman came and interviewed us and recorded a live set of like five songs and she was like i really like you guys um and i'd like to manage you and we didn't really have a manager at this time we had sort of a high school friend who was kind of helping us with that stuff but like not in any official capacity 
just imagine and, like um, a tiny dude in like a really big suit jacket <laughs> like a tiny dude in like really big pants from ross dress for less oh, nice. which is what we were all doing <laughs> so we recorded those five live songs she knew an a r guy at rca sent him that live recording and he flew out and saw us do a showcase where we were really awful like <laughs> Like we were really deep. We like our drummer dropped his sticks. I mean, I remember just being really nervous. And but he, you know, saw something. That's Not awesome. that that makes us special. I mean, this was at a time when labels really were signing, as Steve Albini says, every swinging dick with a guitar, <laughs> just going into you know little scenes and clear cutting them basically. And um, but yeah, they they bought us out of the Doctor Dream deal signed us we signed our record deal when we were juniors in high school with the understanding that we would finish high school and so in practice it kind of was it was a record deal but it kind of looked more like a production deal because we ended up not making a record for two years and i think they wanted to see what we'd turn into and if we'd write songs they felt they could market or whatever what's the difference between a record deal and a production deal I don't really know. I guess a record deal, I guess a record deal is sort of a promise of of a label funding a record like an album and a production deal is when they uh, uh, claim rights to your claim rights to your band, but they're not like signing you, but they're giving you some money, I mm. guess. Okay. So that was when you were juniors in high school. That's crazy. So then you finish high school and then were those any of those like original songs on the demo? Like, did we hear any of them later? Yeah, well, I'm trying to think like we. We never really we didn't really demo for that first album. We did. We had little EPs and seven inches that we'd made, but we didn't make demos for that record. But, um, you know, those are songs that we had you know, that we'd had like the Heart in a Blender song, you know, had existed already in different states for like a year or so before we ended up recording it. Um, before we went in to make the record, that same A&R guy came out, heard a rehearsal and was like, I don't think you guys have the songs. I think I see this falling through the cracks or whatever. And he's like, I'm going to give you a little money to get these songs off your chest, which was like heartbreaking for us to hear at the time but um but uh at the same time it, it was one of those things where it was like we're you know we had to realize okay wait a second we do get we are able to go into a studio right now and record and that's awesome even if this guy thinks we you know don't have the goods or whatever yeah. we recorded a few songs he came in and heard those songs and was like oh uh here's the rest of the money to finish a record. That's awesome. So it, was, it wasn't like a straight shot. Like it took a little bit, you were discovered early, but it like had these ups and downs, right? Yeah. I mean, compared to bands that, that, you know, had to like work on the road and like really struggle in vans and everything else. I mean, you know, I can see how the perception that we were, that we were an overnight sort of phenomenon. I mean, it was true in a lot of ways. We didn't have to suffer the way a lot of bands did at the time before getting a record deal. We did get lucky. 
that's awesome that you recognize that. Are you, so you now have, you have kids now. Um, yeah. Are they into music? Do they know who you are? They're, they're definitely into music. They're not like, um, I mean, one is six and one is nine. So they like, they do, they love Fountains of Wayne, um, which is fun for me. Uh, yeah, they're not like, they're not like super, you know, into music, but they, they definitely enjoy it. That's awesome. Maybe, yeah. maybe when they become more aware of everything, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they need, you need to find a friend to give them a base. That's what needs to happen. <laughs> I know. Totally. So, okay. So then you, you get this fame, you put out the record and you start touring <laughs> this, ne these next sets of questions. I'm going to only release on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash city council show. Who are the best? Give me the gossip. Who are the best acts to work with? Who are the worst acts to work with? Do you have any juicy celebrity stories? I want the behind the scenes shit because this was like 2000s, right? And just like how those TikTokers are popping off on JLo right now, we discuss juicy celebrity band music gossip over on patreon.com forward slash city council C-O-U-N-S-E-L show. But now back to the podcast okay so some of your beefs on twitter have included things that i find funny but also some serious things you are anti-spotify and anti-riot fest can you explain these beefs <laughs> so the riot fest thing was funny because i'm trying to remember how exact okay that started because i forget what it was he tweeted but i don't know i made fun of him for something and then he came back at me and we started going back and forth what the social media manager for riot fest didn't realize was that riot fest was premiering a song of ours a collaboration with this ska band called we are the union we covered sound system by operation ivy together and riot fest was set to premiere it in like a couple days from when this beef started mm -hmm. It was it was fairly good natured, you know, it's yeah. like it was one of those things where but he didn't know that until we'd gone back and forth a little bit. And I was like, you you realize you guys are like, you know, yeah. uh, premiering our music video in like a couple of days. Right. And he he hadn't. So it basically <laughs> it it turned into like, I mean, he's super cool. He's sent me and my girls a bunch of Riot Fest swag. He's like. Aww. He's a he's a friend now. Most of my beefs have Twitter beefs have turned out friendly, not not ones with corporations. I know. I was like, are you an Elon Musk besties now? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, individual beefs tend tend yeah. to be fairly good natured. There are some exceptions, but uh, yeah, um, I'm so bored of tweeting about Musk, but it's also just like, it's, it's how can you not? Yeah, it's his own like personal website now. I know. Ugh. Wait, so how did that beef start though? Like with Riot Fest? Like how did what was the initial tweet? I wish I wish I remembered. I think I did a joke about how their headliners cancel all the time or something. I don't totally remember to be yeah, honest yeah, yeah. with you. Because like so, part of the joy of following your Twitter is that you have these like deep dives into like music culture and like of the time that like Eve Six was like at its peak. Yeah. Um 
so that's like part of the fun of it is like getting this inside look at things like I didn't know what the I did not know what Riot Fest was before you tweeted about it so free promo for them I guess yeah yeah (laughs) totally okay and then Spotify this is something I feel very guilty about I still have a Spotify account and I need to don't feel guilty I know I know but I but I feel bad it's one of those things where it's like okay, like I don't have an Amazon Prime account. And then you're like, I need to do this thing. I need to, you know, there's like so much in the world that you're just like overwhelmed. And then my friend gave me shit this week and I was like, you're right. I really do need to get off of Spotify. <laughs> it's, but- it's just, it's it's the superior interface. The There's so much about it that's just better. Yeah. I don't get people for for using it. But what are the main, as a creator on there, what are the main issues that you see and like, how do they screw over artists? Yeah, well, the, I mean, I think a lot of people now are are aware of their, their payout system, which is just like, um, you know, they pay artists a pittance per stream. It's like 0.003 cents per stream. Um, the the thing that I was making a lot of noise about was the fact that there's like, there's a trust issue with the major record companies and with Spotify because they, they made backdoor deals basically still not uh, visible to the public where Spotify gave major record companies ownership stake in the company and the master owner of the recording the person who owns the recording or entity that owns the recording makes the most amount of money per stream very often that's a record company um so it was just that they made they made deals to benefit each other to the detriment of the people making the stuff that is the reason why people are going to their streaming service very like nfl team like or you know team owners sort of situation just like playing their own game while like the players are the ones actually putting their lives at risk but it's like similarly like you know like the artists themselves don't have ownership i feel like that's been a bigger movement recently more people have been talking about like owning your own masters do you see that shift because you've been in music for so long has that has people people yeah i mean uh Totally. I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of big artists now, like someone like Taylor Swift is probably able to negotiate terms. Um, But I think where, where she gets ownership, I mean, she did all those re-records of those songs famously. So she would own the masters, but I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, you, you don't need a record company anymore, like, or at least as, as much as you once did in order to get your music out. So there are plenty of newer artists who do own their masters. I mean, even so it's, it's such a poor uh, payment structure that, you know, even if you do own your masters, it's, you know, 0.003 cents per stream. You got to get an awful lot of streams in order to be able to like pay your rent, you know? Yeah, that's very true. So you're very vocally pro labor, very like leftist online. Are there other like leftist issues you see in the music industry or things that maybe people don't talk about as much? Yeah, I mean, 
you, the music industry has always been terrible. It's just, it's, it's like, it's definitely gotten worse as it's moved to the platform tech model. And I say you know, that because I like having that pamphlet with the CD and the lyrics, you know, but yeah, that's just hold, a personal preference. <laughs> holding the thing. I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, there's similar trust uh, or antitrust, hopefully moving into this area with uh, Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Also, um, the music industry has always been terrible. It's, it's worse now. Um, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty pessimistic <laughs> about, about it all, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's, 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 thing. it's a tough thing because like artists have been so kind of conditioned to be kind of out for themselves. And there's such, there's also such a disparity in, you know, you have people at, in the upper echelons making millions and millions of dollars and then people down here kind of barely hanging on to have this sort of like cross-class solidarity to be able to really hurt power yeah. is difficult in this industry yeah it's also like i noticed even with comedy Comedy, I think, is like a little bit better because comedians are so fucking desperate for stage time. Even if they're doing well, they like still go to <laughs> like shitty stages. Um, yeah. But there is that thing of like, you don't get to interact as much with people who are starting when you're like, you know, further along in the comedy industry. So I'm sure across entertainment, it's very similar. It, it becomes like more insular and like harder to like get access to people in higher places. Yeah, um, it's very hierarchical and yeah. it's. And that that is a an impediment to like organizing because it's like what what incentives do the people who could really get the ear of a CEO have? I mean, you've yeah. got like Neil Young or whatever, but his whole thing was so confused because he immediately started shilling for Amazon, which oh, is like God. worse. Yeah. Um so yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Rough. Okay. Yeah. Well, I draw inspiration from your music. So now we're going to play a game where I will give you a quote from your lyrics that I think embody a quote from Karl Marx and you have to justify oh, why, no. why they're, they're Marxist. This is like a QAnon conspiracy theory. It's like all these Marxist quotes in okay. your lyrics. So I want you to just justify it. Okay. SoCal is where my mind stays, but it's not my state of mind from inside out. Would you say that similar to Karl Marx's quote, the only antidote to mental suffering is physical pain? <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of my answers to these questions are going to be absolutely, <laughs> unequivocally, no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Matter, matter of fact, I was reading Capital at 17 when I wrote that. <laughs> I like it because it talks about SoCal um, and physical pain. And that's why a lot of comics don't move to New York. You know what I mean? They're just like this. I have to be in SoCal because the sun is out. And that's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that. yeah. This is going to be I didn't know how this would go. It's going to be a lot of me justifying. <laughs> this is um, good. <laughs> okay. Here's to the nights we felt alive. Here's to the tears you knew you'd cry. Here's to goodbye. Tomorrow's going to come too soon, too soon. That's from here's to the night. The Karl Marx quote that I found in this, history repeats itself, first as tragedy, second as farce. 
again, totally intentional. It's it's as if you you inhabited my my mind <laughs> when I was composing it. Wait, how do you um, how do you write these lyrics? Like, first of all, I got I don't even know if these quotes are accurate. I got the lyrics from Genius and I got the quotes from like brainyquotes.com. Who knows if they're accurate? If you're a Marxist, don't come after me. But when I was reading through your lyrics, they're so like, I don't like you, your vocabulary is like a lot more robust, I think, than a lot of lyrics that I hear now. And it's also like so sad sometimes. I was like, this is a hundred percent captured my angst at that time. How did you come up with your lyrics? Well, I mean, my vocabulary was way too robust, in my opinion, on that first record. I was I don't know what I was thinking with some of those. I, I honestly think that when I first started writing songs, I didn't really have melodic comprehension, but but I did. So it's like in lieu of sometimes being able to come up with an interesting melody I would focus on the scan or rhythm of the words and just kind of cram as many words into into a verse as I as the as M and M strategy. Yeah, kind <laughs> of, but it was kind of like compensatory. Um, and but I but I think that's also maybe what people kind of reacted to with it in a way. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean. I grew up or at I shouldn't say I grew up listening to but when by the time I hit middle school and high school middle school I discovered punk rock I went to a skateboarding camp that's right a camp like a <laughs> summer camp where they have half pipes and stuff like that in Visalia this, California This is like how my friends from high school they at one point lived in an anarchy house and I went to it and there was a chore wheel and I'm like this is sending mixed signals <laughs> so like that's funny. I don't understand. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of like an anarchy camp because it was, it, it was really cool. Actually, it was in Visalia, California. The blockhead team was there. So there were like pro skaters there who were like, kind of like, you know, skating, mentoring, doing demos. There was a half pipe and a street course and stuff. And a bunch of kids and I, a guy turned me on to the dead Kennedys and I got super into punk rock. And that led to, um, trying to think of how old I was when I discovered like the Pixies and kind of like noisier pop music. And, um, a band called the Mises was one of my favorite bands. They were like, they were like melodic, but also really noisy and always sounded like they were, you know, it was always like on the verge of falling off the rails. A band called Jawbreaker was was oh. still is one of my favorite bands and their Dear You record specifically. Very dark record, very, very sad <laughs> kind of lyrical themes. Yeah, I was a teenager and I, you know, I I had literal teen angst when I was like writing a lot of that stuff. Um and and I think I also enjoyed that mantle too. So I think I I sort of leaned into it as teenagers yeah. want to do. You sort of yeah. like find identity in your feelings of separateness or whatever. But this is what yeah, incels so. need to go back to is just angsty music. Exactly. Just listen to some alternative rock incels. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
there's community there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm changing the game on the fly because it was a bad game. I'm going to say the Marx quote and then you say the lyrics that it reminds you of. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. That might be better. And then I'll tell you what I thought. Okay. Okay. Anyone who knows anything of history knows that great social changes are impossible without feminine upheaval. Social progress can be measured exactly by the social position of the fair sex, the ugly ones included. That's really funny. Um, well, I'm going to say, I don't know if it's uh, pulling an Eve Six lyric to mind. I don't know. It's a, it's evoking the feminine. So maybe maybe if we're talking about 90s, Lilith Fair, mm. Lilith Fair Fair, maybe yeah. that, that could have been like the... Uh, that's you know, the motto or something for like yeah. a show. I don't know. The ugly ones included. <laughs> oh no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was, the, <laughs> that was part of the quote that was that. I thought about think twice before you touch my girl. That's what, <laughs> that's what came to mind from you, from your lyrics. What about men's ideas are the most direct emanations of their material state? It's so, <laughs> it's so like counter to like, it's so funny because people, I, I didn't become politically awake until like the first Bernie run, basically, in the mm. most basic of ways. So not only was I blissfully unaware of politics in general, class politics, yeah. everything else, it's the last thing yeah. that I ever incorporated <laughs> into lyrics. That's I mean, part he, of the game. <laughs> these days, these days I kind of will go there, but I it's tough to write a political song that's also catchy, interesting, or has like that quality that makes a song that transcendent dream thing. Yeah. And some people can can some people can do it, but it's, this, it's so this is the one that I thought of. Men's ideas are the most direct emanations of the material state. I thought it was from promise. I promise not to try not to fuck with your mind. I promise not to mind if you go your way and I go mine. I promise not to lie if I'm looking you straight in the eye. I promise not to try not to not to not to leave. Okay, you're much you're much better at this game than I me. had time. I had time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can get a couple more. In bourgeois society, capital is independent and has individuality, while the living person is dependent and has no individuality. Your lyrics are very leftist. Like you think they're not, but you talk about like being a working man a lot in the, in your lyrics. Do I really? Yeah. This one is from, oh, what? I forgot to put the song for this one, but the abstruse and lacking rationale. Do you remember the, yeah. Oh yeah. But maybe it goes, so. save myself with sad defeat. A stone just broke my hourglass. I feel the skin that had me trapped. Peers don't know what they can't see. They can't see inside of me. It's sickening how comforting the privacy of the mind can be individuality man yeah isolation it's true <laughs> isolation atomization separateness yeah. yeah and you have that so what about like the soil and the laborer that i found uh was your lyrics of when do we get to the part where i can go home been hiding inside the jungle gym for way too long waiting for someone to come along and find me live in an apartment that bums me out it don't get better when the lights go out Waiting for someone to come along and find me swimming through the aisles at the grocery store. This is my life, man. Yeah. <laughs> like at Trader Joe's that I don't have a car and can't carry these bags. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I need money. It was no, very I... uh, teenage angst and leftist ideals. That's yeah. what. Yeah. <laughs> 
hiding inside the jungle gym one that little vignette was like I mean I was I was like one of those painfully shy kids who didn't mm. like going to birthday parties and had to be oh. like I don't know I always had that sort of like social awkwardness which you know probably helped when I picked up a guitar yeah. and a pen <laughs> there's also something yeah. about like performing where you perform for like a lot of people but you don't especially I guess as a musician you don't necessarily have to like interact with them individually right like at least at first I used to be very like extroverted and stuff uh in college and I still I still am but I definitely need more me time now and I think it's because of like getting on a stage absorbing all the energy that's fulfilling me and then me just like going off by myself yeah yeah and yeah no it's it it it's it's true. It's far less scary to be on a stage doing yeah. that thing, performing, I think, than, I mean, it definitely was when I was like a, a kid and very painfully, slowly learning how to develop social skills yeah. through trial and error. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I I remember being like, I would sooner fail a class than give an oral report. I'd like the thought of standing up in front of the, of classmates and speaking was always terrifying to me, but I was fine to get up on the stage and sing the rock songs. I don't know. There's like some narcissism thing in there or something, I think, but uh, I, think it, I have the narcissism of wanting to get up and just say random thoughts on my mind. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think anyone down. who does, you know, go toward a microphone has a little bit of that thing. And I think <laughs> it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a negative. I, you know, yeah. it can be, it can be employed for, for good, I think. Yeah. Okay, one last question in this game. What do you think is your most leftist song? It would probably be a newer song, which isn't probably that much fun for your listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we we have, uh, we put out an EP called Grim Value about a year ago and a full length called Hyper Relativization a few months ago. There are a few songs on that that touch the the political i'm going to say revolution show probably and mm. is a song off off hyper relativization hell yeah older songs that like accidentally political god i don't know um yeah i mean when i was writing the older stuff usually i was either thinking about like um an ex girlfriend or like a moment in time driving my car or just things that were, I don't know, not political at all. I mean, but it is systemic, right? This world we live in. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so everything is, I guess. It infiltrates everything. Yeah. Okay, now you don't have to worry about me hyper-focusing on you. Um, we're going to go into <laughs> trivia of current events, and then we're going to hit a few headlines. For this trivia game, I'm just going to go through a few questions and see you you're very online so I'm sure you're going to you're going to get all of these. Who from the audience did Shania Twain call out at the People's Choice Awards? Ooh, I don't know this. She called out Ryan Reynolds. I'm going to play the clip, but she was singing her song and she was uh you know, she said you don't impress me much about Ryan Reynolds and then it cut to him and then he was all like, "Oh my goodness, me?" <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, I don't mean 
very cute, very cute moment. Okay. Um, okay. What All right. We- I do have something to, to inter- interject yeah, here go ahead. in the spirit of the segment. Yeah. Um, I played bass on a Shania Twain song <gasps> on her last album. What? That's so cool. Yeah. It was that pretty cool. That do impress me much. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. What uh, song is it? Home Now. Mm. I think it's called Home Now. That's so My cool. My friend produced the record and, and had me come in and play bass. And uh, I'm a huge fan of, I mean, I shouldn't say huge fan. I, I don't know deep cuts, but I love the hits. Yeah, she's awesome. She seems like a really cool person too. Yeah. Um, what did Lizzo do, speaking of another cool person, when accepting her People's Choice Award? Did it have to do with the flute? No, that is a good guess. But she brought 17 activists with her on stage and introduced them individually and the work they do in their respective fields. It was super Badass. cool. I know. It was so awesome. And it was like activists that I that I like follow already. Some of them that I follow already and recognize and like a bunch more that I like want to get to know. So it was cool. Did you see the viral TikTok video of the Emory nurses describing their ics? No. Oh my God. I, I feel, I feel like a terrible chronically online person right now. <laughs> I know you're like totally missing. I wonder what, like what your feed is like versus mine. It's gotta be like a lot of overlap. A lot of crossover. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's that TikTok trend of like what turns somebody off, like their icks and then okay. couples often do it. They'll like list each other's icks or like friends or whatever. And right. they, so they all like listed their icks about patient care. And according to a tweet, I'm not quite sure, but they got fired because some of the icks were just like regular patient stories. And then a bunch of people started tweeting their own personal stories with the nurses from the video about how oh, that they no. had gotten poor treatment at that hospital from those nurses. Holy shit. Yeah, because we've been seeing like mean nurses on TikTok for a while. The mean nurse thing is 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 interesting because I feel like the it went from like, you know, frontline worker, you know, lauding them and then which like, you know, respect. But then also there seemed to be like an inordinate amount of nurses online, at least, who were like kind of... um, anti-vax or whatever yeah it seems like the worst nurses probably are the ones who are attracted to the mic right yeah yeah and are the ones making these tiktok videos where there was like i saw like tiktok videos of nurses saying that if a patient wasn't nice to them they would give them like a thicker iv which is more painful and i'm like that's 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 like illegal somebody was like that's medical battery like what are you yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I'm sure there are like a lot of amazing nurses and we don't see them TikTok dancing in front of dead bodies or whatever. But <laughs> these ones right, apparently, because they're, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. These ones apparently were not great. Okay. How did our bestie, our Starbucks bestie, Christian Walker, respond to Elijah Schaefer, who blamed him for Herschel Walker's loss? Elijah Schaefer said, Really thankful for Herschel Walker's son for helping Democrats secure another seat in the Senate. Nobody is better at electing Democrats than Republicans. Really spectacular job this round. All the criticism from our own base, lack of support from Mitch, 10 out of 10 every time. Herschel Walker's son is also very right wing, just hates his dad. Yeah. So he's like, so Elijah Schaefer was like, we're eating ourselves from the inside. And I blame, basically like blamed Christian Walker for calling out his own, his own father on social media. What did Christian Walker respond to Elijah Schaefer with? It's Tell good. Us. It's Tell juicy. Us. 
He said, I recommend you not come for me or I'll have to tell your wife how you had sex with my friend at the Turning Point event in 2021 while you were married to her. I don't like cheaters. And then in a follow-up tweet, tweet, he was like, this loser was fired from his job for sexual assault and then also had banged my friend four times in one night. That's like a flex. At a conservative conference while he was married and she didn't know. Get your family life together before you speak on mine, adulterer. Wow. First of all, I love adulterer just as like a thrown out insult. Like I'm going yeah, to so, be like, so, don't speak to me, adulterer. It's amazing. It's so, yeah, it's like biblical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a biblical burn. Yeah, That's biblical crazy. Burn. I want to see, I want the follow-up TikTok from Elijah Schaefer's wife. I want to see that. Yeah. Speaking of adulterers. <laughs> Which two separately married ABC co-anchors got caught in an affair recently? Okay, I did see this story. I don't know their names. I don't watch the program. <laughs> but but that whole thing was, was seemed very bizarre. Did yeah. They ended up getting fired? So it's TJ Holmes and Amy Roback of Good Morning America 3, which I don't know if you have to watch the first two to understand the third one. But... Um, <laughs> I apparently I'm not sure I think he got suspended I've been hearing like weird things so first of all they're both separately married he apparently cheated on his first wife with his current wife and like wrote a letter to his daughter about how he's a different man now and then he cheated again and apparently has had multiple intra-office affairs and then so I think he is suspended but I'm not sure about her he's black she's a white woman you know but I think also he his he might have had more affairs or something they I think they were initially, both they they were both totally unapologetic about it right I haven't Wasn't seen that- any I, yeah I haven't seen anything from their their teams about it they just like took them off the air for like an initial suspension and I'm not quite sure what yeah I don't know what the deal is he has kids I think she does too I'm not sure, but it's that cannot be good for their families for it to play out so publicly. And everybody was like standing it because they had like they were hot and had chemistry. And so they were like right. going back through all the old videos. And I don't right. know, adulterers. <laughs> <laughs> this one's sad, but makes us grateful. Which iconic feminist who was besties with Gloria Steinem passed away recently? Shit. Dorothy Pittman Hughes died on December 11th at 84 years old. And there was some really like dope things that she she's done and you should look her up she's awesome this one you probably know who did dave Chappelle bring out at his latest show that his own fans booed oh my god that was so intense elon musk elon musk and i'm seeing that a lot of the tweets with the original video that i'm gonna play for you guys are getting taken down are getting taken down so that elon musk can't be seen as being booed.
Well, I mean, he's definitely hiding replies to like today. I, I did a tweet. I replied to him today. I don't even remember what I said, but uh, tweets were visible. Replies to my tweet were visible, were visible for a time. And there were a bunch of them. And then all of a sudden they just disappeared. Mm. So he's, he's, you know, the whole free speech thing is such a transparent. I mean, he's just like, it's literally just like anyone who says that he's balding and divorced and a deadbeat dad just gets taken down. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like free speech I mean, until they come for him. And if he's removing, which I it sounds like he is removing the video of the Chappelle thing. Yeah. I mean, that destroys his whole conceit about the Hunter Biden stuff and like the Hunter Biden I, stuff, which was like revenge porn, basically, which. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a whole a whole crazy thing. Also, like the fact that people are this is like the Hillary emails. It's like the the, new, the Hunter Biden laptop is like the new Hillary emails that the Republican yeah. Party is just obsessed with. Yeah. Um, and then. Yeah, we'll get well, we can talk about that a little bit more later. But do you think Twitter is going down and where are you going to go if Twitter goes down? I really did think it was going down a couple of weeks ago and I joined yeah. the chorus of people giving, doing sort of embarrassingly sentimental goodbyes. I really oh, did yeah. think it was gonna, I really did think it was going to go dark. I don't anymore. I just think, I mean, I tweeted yesterday that I, you know, it, it, it's not going to get and probably doesn't deserve an elegant death. It's just yeah. going to progressively worse ad infinitum. But, yeah. And I quote tweeted to that and I said, Twitter's just like me for real. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just getting progressively yeah, yeah, worse yeah. over time. <laughs> oh, that was funny. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I agree. Happen. I think it's getting progressively worse over time. My biggest fear, and it's still my fear, is that I think Twitter is like fun for us in terms of like writing jokes and like having community. But the thing that I love about Twitter is that it is a place for people who don't have alternative means to get news out as like regimes are falling and coups are happening and yep. you know governments are trying to quell protesters it's a way for them to have their voices be heard i mean we can see what's happening right now in iran um, yep. and so my biggest fear is that elon musk 
because of his fucking ego trip is going to allow security breaches or allow these companies who or governments who want to find who the protesters and dissidents are like get their information and yeah. then those people could be executed by these governments and i think oh, yeah. that's like that's my biggest fear no it has and terrifying I, ramifications if yeah he's like, if he's gonna like throttle actual news in favor of quote-unquote citizen journalists doing conspiracy yeah. theories and stuff i mean yeah it's, like it's one thing he like he tweeted my pronouns are prosecute fauci and it's like one thing for him to like be for like he has like this horde of like hateful fans so he does instigate a base that can become like dangerous um yep. and he does feed into like the hate speech and everything and that's one form of violence but the other one is like very direct like if the ftc is like paying attention to him then it makes me very concerned for like like the safety of citizens in other countries you know or uh, not mm -hmm. but like people in other countries mm -hmm. so it's like i don't know i i think he's like to have that much money and be and think that all you're doing is being a troll when you're like firing people or like literally getting people killed you know like that is mind-boggling and i think the booing at the dave chappelle show is like if even dave chappelle fans fucking hate you like what solace do you have like where can you go and this is like he's being brought out by what he probably considers to be like the funniest man in the world right and that's mm -hmm. what he wants to be and then he's getting yeah. such a terrible fucking reception that even dave had to acknowledge in the clip if he's shutting all these down i, th I think it's not just for his reputation i think it's because he he doesn't want to see it like he doesn't want to so see too. himself getting booed because he doesn't want to think that he's not funny 100 percent. and i had I had, you know, a guy re replied to one of my tweets about it today saying like, oh, this is a regional thing. You know, if if he weren't in San Francisco and we're somewhere else, it's like, you know, but like you said, I mean, these are these he thought he was going to be walking on to a friendly crowd here. These are people who paid for Dave Chappelle tickets. They aren't you know and, and it's san francisco which is where like all your tech bros are dude exactly that's people are like oh market. oh it's these you know it's a left-wing place no it isn't san yeah. francisco is like full of tech bro millionaires and billionaires yeah yep okay in some better news Brittany griner came home which is incredible. She came home in this trade-off deal that happened between Victor Bout, known as the Merchant of Death, and Brittany Griner. So she was freed. There's this beautiful video that I'm going to play for you guys of Cheryl Griner, her wife's speech. Congratulations again. Thank you. So over the last nine months, y'all have been... Um, so privy to one of the darkest moments of my life and so today i'm just standing here um overwhelmed with emotions but the most important emotion that i have right now is just sincere gratitude um for president biden and his entire administration um he just mentioned this work is not easy and it has not been there's been so many hands involved and so i'd like to take a moment to just specifically mention a few uh vice president harris secretary blinken jake sullivan Just Geltzer from the National Security Council, Roger Cartson and Fletcher Schoen from the Hostage Envoys Office. Um, a special thank you to Governor Richardson and Mickey, um, the Mercury Players, the WNB, 
PA for your advocacy. And also, um, you guys may not know this, but um, my family has been tremendously supported by the Washington um, Agency, BG's agent, um, Lindsay Colas. It's just been amazing for me and my family throughout this process. So um, today my family is whole, but as you all are aware, there's so many other families who are not whole. And so BG's not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home, including Paul, whose family is in our hearts today as we celebrate BG being home. We do understand that there are still people out here who are enduring what I endured the last nine months of missing tremendously their loved ones. So thank you everybody for your support. Um, and today is just a happy day for me and my family. So um, I'm going to smile right now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all very much. A lot of people online were having very like negative reactions to this arms dealer Victor Bout being released. And they were like, oh, it's like not a fair trade. And like, this is ridiculous. There's this other U.S. Marine named Paul Whalen who didn't get traded out to or like released by Russians. And there's like a few things to note. I don't approve of everything he does, but I was watching Son Piker's like take on this. Like, I didn't realize that Paul Whalen, who is the Marine, first of all, all these cases are different, right? Like the negotiations, we don't know what the fuck is happening behind the scenes. She was a basketball player who maybe brought weed in. I still am not convinced that she brought weed in because they just claimed that and she'd been yep. going to Russia and it was right around the time of the Ukraine stuff. So like, I'm still not convinced that that happened. Even if she did, it would have been like like a fine and like 15 days in prison, not like nine fucking months. But Paul Whalen is a U.S. Marine who had, they claimed he was there for like a friend's wedding, but $80,000 worth of cash was found on him and like a ton of passports. And he had like a USB drive that he claimed was planted on him with like KGB stuff. So it's like, people were like, is he like a spy? Yeah, you have was, one. You have one person who's undoubtedly innocent. Yeah. Even if he had weed, like, come on, and another who was, you know. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be released or that I like know enough about him, but I'm saying like these are two completely separate cases, and she did not go in being like a risk of me going to Russia is that I'm going to be imprisoned for nine months or longer and sent to a penal colony. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are two completely different. Like if you are a spy, like that is a risk of be of participating you know and so i don't know people are like oh they like kept a u.s marine and released this wnba player and it's like yeah because she's not oh, yeah. participating I mean, in this system yeah another issue that'll just like you know establish a dividing line and all the predictable people will be on the predictable sides of it yeah you know? And so there's like a lot of backlash and we think it's because she's a black woman. But there's also the the backlash about Victor Bout, who is an arms dealer, but apparently has some of the same clientele as the CIA. And like kind of there's like overlap there. So I'm just like, this is like all of this is dirty and nasty. And the only person who is not involved in like this dark, like arms war spying shit is Brittany Griner. So she should be the one released. Like yes, someone who went there to play basketball. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. And watching the video of her like just smiling to get out made me it was like very heartwarming. I was like very happy that she got she got out. Other good news. 
Raphael Warnock won the Georgia election, the runoff. I think he's had five elections in two years and like won them all. (laughs) And he was, he beat Herschel Walker by two points, which is concerning, but whatever, we'll take our wins. So that's, that's an update there. And then everybody was excited that we had enough senators to not have to kowtow to either Kristen Sinema or Joe Manchin. And then Kristen Sinema announced that she was going to be an independent, which is like, this bitch has so much bisexual chaos around her. Like, I can't, she is, before she, it's true, before she is a Republican or a Democrat, she is a white bisexual and needs all this attention. (laughs) It was, did you see her video of her, like, announcing her wanting to be an independent? No. She gave this, like, really long speech about how, like, people don't people aren't political at home like they're not coming home to have like a republican or a democrat dinner or something i don't know and it was like okay cool great what have you done and what are you going to do because she kept saying that she want she was they want someone who's going to get stuff done and it's like then it's not you bitch move over like you've just been an impediment in so many so many like important legislative pieces like even the filibuster just all of these things that you're holding hostage for attention and she had a wine internship did you know this no she had a wine internship while she was a sitting senator it's so funny the character the cast of characters whether whether they're actually holding office or their youtube personalities but like the uh, hypersensible centrist voice of reason thing uh, people fall for it you know yeah. and i mean hopefully less so now because it's just such a tell yeah um, i mean musk is doing the same thing it's uh you know these are right wingers this is the part where i'm skeptical and don't have hope because they keep falling for it and they continue to fall for it the only thing that it like people have hope because trump is like losing he endorsed all these people they all lost it does give me hope in one way for extremists but it doesn't give me hope in terms of this like centrist like moderate voice because it's such an insidious way to kind of like get in these you know like these capitalist policies and totally it's very easy to say no to the extremists it's a lot harder to say no to people who like keep the status quo you know yeah totally no i mean desantis too is like you know, he, he might be rhetorically slightly less offensive than Trump or something, but I mean, he sent people to Martha's Vineyard. He literally kidnapped people. Like, yeah, he's, he's like worse, you know, Yeah, Um, he's to the right of Trump. So it's like, yeah, too much focus on Trump's kind of revolting aesthetics. I mean, from like, liberal media i think it's not like you're getting something better with desantis you're getting something worse yeah so the supreme court is currently hearing a couple cases have you heard of moore versus harper do you know this case so it deals with partisan gerrymandering in north carolina and what's known as independent state legislature which is a really far right legal idea isl or independent state legislature argues that only state legislatures should be allowed to say how elections are governed in states, not the governors or judges or Supreme Courts. And so this has been like really confusing because it like takes away checks and balances and it's like very Mm anti-democratic. And so Ketanji Brown Jackson asked a question 
Basically, she asked, like, if state constitutions create state legislatures, how can state legislatures violate state constitutions? So it's this, like, weird snake eating its own tail situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's I think it has, like, terrible ramifications if, you know, this conservative court rules for ISL. It's, like, such a far-right idea, and it's, like, very anti-democratic. That's one case that's being heard. Have you heard of the Lori Smith website design case that's happening right now, too? No. This is the same fucking case from 2017 where that like baker didn't want to make gay wedding cakes, which sure. by the way, I feel like would be the best fucking wedding cakes. But <laughs> they, it's this this woman in Colorado where there's an anti-discrimination law. It's like preemptive. She's not even getting gay wedding sites yet. Like she hasn't had anybody approach her. Her website design company is called like 303 Creative. And She's basically saying, like, I don't want to have to create a wedding website or a website for, like, gay people. And so it's being heard right now. You might have seen some of the clips online. Katanji Brown-Jackson came up with one that was, like, a hypothetical. She came up with a question that was a hypothetical. And she was like, say I want to do Christmas photography and I want to recreate It's a Wonderful Life, but I'm only allowed to do that. For, I like I only want to do that because of artistic expression, which is another part of this, like another part of this, like discrimination law that are for customers who are white. Like I'll only recreate it because I'm like important to my artistic expression. Yeah. I mean, if it's preemptive, you know, she's likely just doing it for publicity. Yeah, I think it's like a lot of these are like way super nefarious and it's like lawyers that contact each other and then trying to find people who like yeah. the, the role. Depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well. I want to be authentic. And so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll, I'll give to everybody else. I'll sell them anything they want. Just not the It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Um, I'm expressing something, right? For your purposes, that, that's speech. What about, uh, what's the other step? It's speech and I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell the It's a Wonderful Life package to uh, non-white individuals. In the same way, I would say, first of all, in the same way that this court, when there is a message and a status and it's overlapping, the court would say that message wins in that instance. So I don't so, think that so I message, don't have to sell it to it. I don't think that that message is in that. So that happened. And then what happened right after that? Did you see this quote from Samuel Alito where he basically he was like laughing and joking and he was like, OK, if we don't protect this ability of artists to not discriminate, basically, can like a black Santa say no if children in KKK outfits wanted to come and sit on his lap? And then the lawyer immediately had to be like and he was like laughing about it. Yes. There's a, a black Santa at the other end of the mall, and he doesn't want uh, to have his picture taken with a, a child who's dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit. That, that black Santa has to do that? No, because Ku Klux Klan outfits are not protected characteristics under public accommodation laws. And presumably that would be the same Ku Klux Klan outfit, regardless whether the child was black or white or any other characteristic. And you do see, you do see a lot of black children in Ku Klux Klan uh, outfits, right? All the, all the time. Why are we explaining to a Supreme Court justice, like, these hateful costumes are not, like, immutable characteristics? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the fact that he's taking it so lightly is, like, so frustrating. Yeah. I fucking hate Sam Alito. I hate him so much. I don't know if you have any thoughts on 
on our Supreme Court, but those are the cases that are being heard right now. I don't know. I guess my thought is just it's so it's not only is like cancel culture not a real thing, but it's it's employed. It's like it's a currency now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or sort of the cancelable cancelable offense is uh is like a boon you know yeah because it's just it's a way it's a way to like i mean this this person's like probably putting her name and company on the map now this yeah. way and we'll probably get business because of it you know yeah it's like how kyle rittenhouse got a career off of allegedly murdering yep. two people <laughs> totally um yeah it's really it's really disgusting and, and frustrating i think that's also like when you were just saying about the cancel culture thing is like a, like a, something people could trade on that's why like comics are like I don't want to be canceled for this but and then they'll say something like super offensive and it's like you clearly knew if you had the the thought process that that was like something inappropriate to say and then you right. still said it like that means that you are an edgelord like you are trying to to gain traction off of this which is super frustrating 100% okay have you paid attention to anything happening in the LA City Council because it is batshit crazy oh the fight or the the yes. A dude attacking the activist. Yes. Okay. So quick update. So after the tapes leaked of Nuri Martinez saying all this like racist, like hateful stuff, there were other people who were on the tapes as well who refused to resign. Nuri Martinez did resign. She was on, on the city council and like was head, head of the city council. And Gil Cedillo didn't resign. He had been voted out already, but he hadn't left the position yet. Eunice's Hernandez took over. And so our tax dollars were still paying for him, even though he wasn't showing up to city council meetings. Kevin DeLeon also refused to resign. He hadn't been voted out and he's still refusing to resign. And he just showed up this week to city council meetings because protesters who I really appreciate going because I can't go have been going and like disrupting these meetings and being being like, he should fucking resign. He's racist. He It was like anti-Black, anti-Indigenous things that he was like laughing at. So they've been going and he's been like laying low and he went on this radio show and he was like, I just want to give people time to heal. Then he comes back and the day that he comes back, everybody is, you know, screaming at him to leave. Obviously they had to like have a recess or end a meeting or whatever. There was like a holiday event, an activist who's like very, yeah, Jason Reedy, um, yeah, of, he's he's uh, related to the People City Council. Yeah, who, yeah, he's yeah. part of them. So there's video, and the first video that dropped was just like a slow mo video by Roots Action and J Town Action that was tweeted out, and it was Kevin De Leon like attacking him, like grabbing him, slamming him down, and trying to like throw him out, like physically well, attacking him. And then yeah. Kevin De Leon was like, "Oh, they only posted part of it." Uh, you're like not gonna see all of it and we're pressing charges he had this this clip of him saying that it was like inappropriate behavior and that Jason instigated it then the whole video comes out and it's very oh and then he also made this statement before the whole video came out he made this statement that was a group of so-called activists who have been harassing my staff and me for more than a year cornered and physically assaulted me a staff member and a volunteer during a holiday event on Friday evening Jason Reedy and his accomplices started by shouting obscenities and disrupting a community toy giveaway and tree lighting ceremony already underway. I decided to try to exit the event to draw the disruptors away from, from the attending families and children and leave without further incident. Still, we discovered Reedy and others had blocked all available exits. Once we were able to push open a door and try to get out, 
Reedy launched a pelvic thrust followed by a headbutt to my forehead. My response in defense of myself was to push him off of me. In the ensuing struggle, Reedy struck me in the face with a closed fist, violently elbowed a female staff member, and injured a volunteer in front of horrified parents and children. The escalating political rhetoric is beyond unacceptable, now turning verbal threats into physical acts of violence. It's a dangerous pattern that must that must end before more serious harm or loss of life occurs loss of life. Leaders must collectively step up to curb rising hostilities towards staff and elected officials. In no way is violence a form of free speech and acts like these have no place in politics or democracy. Protesters are part of democracy. And then the whole video comes out and it's like very obvious that he could have just walked the fuck away. Like other city council members like Isaac and Unices and Kenneth Mejia were all like, this is like horribly inappropriate and he needs to resign immediately. So it was just like, the he still isn't resigning i don't understand like the ego you must have joe biden asked you to resign you're an la city council member and before any of this fight stuff happened people ask you to resign it's now been covered by cnn like yeah and and, and, and of course news. the and of course the pelvic thrust and the headbutt is isn't on video anywhere you we have can't find, we yeah, can't you see have it. people who were who were shouting and you know perfectly within their right to and and, and jason's hands are up mind. like because he yeah. knows he knows he's going to be vilified for it um so his hands were up the whole time and people were like oh because isaac bryan of the city council like, somebody was like oh you know how would you feel if jason like ran up on you and he's like jason has run up on me before and like he's very passionate but we just like discussed things and then walked away like he was like, this is no, there's no need for this, like, violence. Like, clearly Kevin DeLeon has some, like, screws loose. Like, I don't know what yeah. the fuck his problem is. Like, you have to be insane to keep being on the city council. Like, nobody wants you, dude. And yep. why would you, if you know protesters are calling for you to resign, you're initiating the violence at these holiday events by still being in your position. Like, you know, people aren't happy with you. And you know that you are drawing protesters to like the onlookers of these these children and these families like why would you why would you put them through that if you're so worried about their their state of mind and their peace totally yeah um anyways <laughs> that is <laughs> that is the LA city council stuff yeah that's basically all of the news so usually at the end of the the episodes I plug a mutual aid babe of the week do you have any mutual aids that you really like in LA or anywhere else shoot i should have something <laughs> at the ready no, it's totally fine. I think what, right now, I've plugged them before, but Water Drop LA, I think, is like looking for more volunteers. The LA animal shelters are definitely overrun and need people to to walk them. I'm going to look up like a music mutual aid because this is a music themed episode. So I'll put that in the notes. But thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? The Union of Musicians and Allied Workers at UMAW is the is the Twitter account. They're the ones who are, you know, really pushing for a penny per stream and pushing for uh Spotify to release the, you know, backdoor deals made with record companies. So you could give them a follow. Oh, oh um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then what was the other question? It was or... just like, if you had anything to to leave us with, because um, we're getting towards the end of the episode now. You're at Eve6 on all social media accounts, right? Yeah, at Eve6 on all social media. Um, I'm writing an advice column for, for BuzzFeed News now, which has been really fun. It's just a monthly thing. 
If you would like to write into that, the email address is eve6guy at buzzfeed.com. That's so funny. Did you, when you started tweeting again, I mean, it's been the last like couple of years, basically, that you've been like more like active on social media in, in like that very personal way, right? What did your bandmates think of you tweeting all this stuff from the Eve6 account? I mean, John, my guitar player, I mean, he's, he's been, he's the one who like politically, you know, rad radicalized me basically. So there's no, oh, cool. you know, yeah, the, he, he and I are in lockstep, um, ideologically, politically, and, um, he and I are the band. Basically we have a, a fantastic drummer, Ben Hilsinger who plays with us but um yeah so that's awesome I mean I'm sure I'm sure Sweet Pea that's our, our affectionate nickname for him I'm sure you know he gets annoyed with me from time to time but uh you know he backs it nice. for the most part. um and do you have any shows coming up I missed your show last in May I think it was because my life was falling apart but do you have any right. shows that yeah. I can maybe see coming up we don't have anything booked in LA right now. I'm sure we will next year, you know, when things start mm -hmm. to pick up again. I think what we're going to try to do rather than doing like month and a half long runs or whatever, like we did this past year is do clusters of like four or five shows in different parts of the country. Yeah. We're talking about, we're talking about doing something with Titus Andronicus and Wheatus, which oh I think God. would be really fun um possibly something with hawthorne heights so yeah we're, we're definitely gonna have have shows next year and i will definitely let you know when we yay when we i'm super excited area. and you had a comedian open for you on your tour right yeah yeah the the inimitable jake flores good yeah. a good friend and um yeah a little challenging for for your uh you know sort of average you know, drive by '90s alternative rock fan, but people he <laughs> he he brought people he brought people in pretty successfully. That's was, awesome. That's cool. so cool that you had that. We um, should have you come up and do a set. I would fucking love it. I would lose yeah, we'll my do mind. It. I would love that. Thank you so much for being on the pod. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And let's like hang out sometime or something. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Meeting adjourned. Awesome. This episode of the City Council podcast was written, created, and produced by Paula Viganalan. That's me. The music was written and produced by Ruby Ibarra. Be sure to follow us at City Council, spelled S-E-L, show on Instagram and Twitter for more weekly podcasts and live stand-up comedy shows. To support the show and for exclusive bonus content, please join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash city council show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.